Well, stay standing for just another moment, if you would, and let me have you take your Bibles out and turn to the book of Mark and to chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. And we will read verses 21 through 34 this morning. And that will be our text this morning. Beginning in verse 21 of Mark chapter 1, let us then give heed to this, for this is the word of God to us. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority, and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, "'What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth?' Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, And the whole city was gathered together at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you, Lord, once again for this wonderful word that you have given to us. We pray that you would bless our time in it. We pray that we would uh, learn of Christ, that we would uh, rejoice in him, that we would just be renewed in our, our love and trust in him this morning. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, beloved of Christ... We are still here in the the midst of being introduced still here in Mark's gospel to the focal point of not only this book, not only this gospel, the gospel of Mark, but also the focal point of, of this entire book, the scripture, and that is our Lord himself. So far, we have seen in Mark's record of the life and the ministry of of Jesus that Jesus has just recently come on the scene, having been, we've seen, uh, announced by John the Baptist, the forerunner, the prophesied forerunner of the Messiah, having been baptized by that same John, John the Baptist, in the Jordan River, identifying, Jesus identifying himself with the people he came to save. His having been anointed by the Holy Spirit and approved by the Father himself as well-pleasing in the Father's sight, uh, having then been approved and anointed. We saw Jesus being tempted by Satan in the wilderness and coming through that temptation uh, perfectly, perfectly obedient to his Father, 
perfectly obedient to God's word. And Jesus then, having been introduced through all of these things, we saw him last week entering into then his public ministry here in the, the northern region known as Galilee, especially we saw along the shore of the Sea of Galilee in that, that area of the town of Capernaum where Jesus is basing his ministry here in the, the Galilean uh, region. Mark recorded for us, and we looked last week, the last couple of weeks, at the message and the mission of Jesus as it is revealed for us. We saw his mission, or his message rather, in verse 14, being reminded that, that he was proclaiming the gospel of God, specifically in his message that the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand, and with the required response of men and women that they repent and believe the gospel. And then we have seen Jesus embark on his mission to spread that news. And the beginning of him calling people to himself, the beginning of that by him calling to himself in verses 16 through 20, the first four of his disciples, Simon and Andrew and James and John. And in fact, those last few verses, that last point, I want to revisit that for just a moment because it serves really as a good segue, a good transition, and actually a first uh, first point here really for what we want to look at this morning. Because as Mark begins here now to describe the work and the ministry of Jesus, Mark is going to be very careful and very intentional to show us who Jesus is. And part of that, here in this opening chapter, is the, the manifestation and the display to us of the authority of Jesus. He is one who came, yes, as a, a meek person, as a humble person, but he is one who came with authority because he is God. And so he comes with all authority. This one who has come, this one whom we serve and recognize as the Lord of all things, he who has come with the approval of God also comes with the very authority of God because he is God. And we've seen what God the Father had to say about him. Now we're going to see Jesus' authority through what he does, how he himself demonstrates his divine authority. And he begins to show that, really. We saw this at the end of our time last week. He begins to do that with the calling of his disciples. We see his authority demonstrated in the calling of his disciples. Again, we talked about that last Sunday, so I think we only need to mention it very briefly to remind ourselves of it, but it really fits into this, what we're going to see. And so we should, again, recognize that it is a facet of Jesus' demonstration of his authority. So look back again just very quickly at at verse 16, and I'll read verse 16 through 20. It says, Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he, that is Jesus, saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending the nets, and immediately he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. If you were with us last week, we noted there the the boldness of Jesus 
just, just coming along here and coming up to, to Simon and Andrew and then to James and John and just calling them away. Follow me. Come now. Calling them away from their, their daily occupation. Calling them away from their homes. Particularly, it mentions in the text, James and John calling them away from their father and their father's business and to a life of following Jesus. Learning of him. Learning from him. And being trained by him, as he said, to become fishers of men. And we saw that boldness, that really almost audacity, I'm sure it was that seen that way to those who heard it, on Jesus' part, we noted that that himself, or that itself, was a demonstration of his authority. And we might add the effectiveness of that call. It's seen in the fact here that in the text, there's no argument, there's no hesitation even, no bargaining, no delaying, just the fact that Simon and Andrew in verse 18 immediately left their nets and followed him, and that James and John left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him, followed Jesus. Jesus has the authority to call people at any time, at any place, to whatever task he wishes to call them, because he is Almighty God. Last week I quoted from our confession of faith. Let me quote it again, saying that he is his right and he is within his right to demand, quote, from angels and men and every other creature whatsoever worship, service, or obedience he is pleased to require of them. And whether it was his first disciples there on the shore of the Sea of Galilee or his disciples that filled the pews this morning. He is, as we talked about, as we had uh, the Garzas and, and Barbara up here, he is our master. He is our Lord. We are his servants. We are unspeakably blessed to be called by God's grace, to be his servants. No more wonderful master could we imagine than the Lord God himself. And for us this morning that have been called to follow Jesus, we need to remember, again, as we mentioned this morning, that Christ is our master. He calls the shots. Jesus said in Matthew 10, 25, it is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and for the servant to be like his master. And that is to be our desire. That is to be our ambition. And it is God, God's requirement of us to follow. And so Jesus' authority is manifest in his calling of his disciples. As he sovereignly said to them, you, 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 let's go. Come follow me. The second place that we see Jesus' authority demonstrated here in this passage that we're looking at is in his teaching. So Mark at this point here uh, in verse 21, he really begins to relate several events that all occur, all of what we're going to talk about now, all occur within a single day. A day in the life of Jesus, we, we might call this. Um, 
It begins with the statement that they, in verse 21 here, that is Jesus and his disciples, they went into Capernaum. Again, right there on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee, right there uh, where they were. But they, it says, went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. Remember, Capernaum, the home base. Um, And notice it says, and immediately. There's that word again. And that word, by the way, immediately that we've talked about that, that Mark uses that throughout his gospel. We're going to hear it five times this morning in these few verses that we're looking at. We again are given the, the intentional perspective here that Jesus is a man on a mission, which he is. And he goes into the synagogue there in Capernaum on the Sabbath and continues to spread his message regarding the fullness of time, the kingdom of God, the need for faith and repentance, that gospel of God that Mark said that, that he was preaching, that he was teaching. And we're told specifically that this takes place on the Sabbath, there in verse 21. Now, in these verses that we're looking at this morning, early in in Jesus' ministry, far removed from the problems that they'll face in Jerusalem, there's no conflict here with with anything that we're going to see Jesus do on this day, even though he does it on the Sabbath. You know, likely, that later in Jesus' ministry that much of the conflict between Jesus and the religious leaders will revolve around what Jesus does particularly on the Sabbath. Of course, the Sabbath, that Jewish holy day that was set apart by God himself to his people under the old covenant on which the people were especially to draw near to God, to focus on God in thoughts, in acts of worship, and on which they were not to do any work. God describes what that means in the Old Testament. But what happened was that in in what began really as a, a commendable desire by this group that came to be known as the Pharisees, as a commendable desire to focus people on keeping the Sabbath after the exile, that the religious leaders of the Jews ended up taking the biblical requirements regarding the Sabbath and just sort of going crazy with them and really turning them into a burden that was placed on the shoulders of the people. They had built on those commands a whole man-made edifice of restrictions. 39 categories of activities that were forbidden on the Sabbath. And the conflict, and we'll see this later in the book of Mark, came when Jesus, while adhering to the law of God, ignored the the additional laws of man, and in fact really spoke against them, uh, which when examined those laws of man that were were added were actually contrary to what God intended when he established the Sabbath. When he gave his people the blessing of that one day in seven that they could rest from their work and rest in the Lord their Savior. Because Jesus continued to heal people on the Sabbath. We'll see that this morning. The Jews won't like that. He delivered people from, from evil spirits on the Sabbath. We'll see that this morning. 
The Jews didn't like that. But now, this morning, in this place, in this time, that doesn't appear to be an issue. And so Jesus goes into the synagogue on the Sabbath, which Luke tells us in chapter 4 of his gospel, was Jesus' ordinary practice. It was his custom. It's what he did. Jesus was a, a good Jew. He went to the synagogue, and he went on a regular basis, and it was his practice to go on the Sabbath. Now, it says that he went, on the, went to the synagogue. A synagogue, if you're, if you're not familiar with that, was, was kind of the closest thing that the Jews had to what we would call a local church. The word synagogue means a gathering together. And the synagogue was a place in a city or a village where the Jews would gather, they would hear the law of God read and taught, Uh, they would make confession of sin, prayers would be offered. Uh, Much of the the structure of what we know today as the church was, was drawn from and based on the synagogue. And Jesus comes and he not only attends on this particular Sabbath day, but he is given the opportunity to teach the people. But we're not told particularly what he said, but I think based on what we've seen already from Mark that we can be sure that it had to do with the kingdom of God. What we are told, though, is that when he is done, down in verse 22... And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. They were astonished at what they heard. This rabbi coming in, they were amazed. Literally, the word there, astonished, means that struck them out of themselves. Because his teaching struck them. It struck them as something new. Not especially, not especially because of its content, Mark tells us here, though certainly Christ's emphasis on the true nature of the Messiah and the kingdom of God, the true nature of the moral law, and so on, would have itself have been new to them. But it was amazing to them, Mark says, because, they said, he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. That's what stood out to them is the authority of Jesus' teaching because it was different. It says not as the scribes. The usual practice of the scribes, uh, the teachers of the law, when they would come in and they would teach about the law, their normal practice would be to quote uh, the, the writings, the sayings of other scribes, uh, rabbis who had come earlier. Rabbi Rosenberg says this and that. And teach, teach what they had taught. So it was really based on the authority of someone else. But Jesus' teaching was different. The, these, these scribes would come and they would teach. And, and it became so focused on what others had done that they built, built up a tradition, actually. The New Testament refers to it, Jesus refers to it as the tradition of the elders which is what the scribes relied on, and according to Jesus, they elevated that above God's word. Another reason that Jesus was disliked by the Jews, because he, he attacked that reliance on the, 
the tradition of the elders instead of relying and being obedient to God's word. But Jesus' teaching was different here, the people say, because Jesus taught with his own authority. And perhaps the clearest example of that that we can think of in the New Testament is in the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus again and again and again and again says, you've heard from your teachers, you have heard from your rabbis, you have heard from the scribes, you have heard from those this and this and this, Jesus said, but I say to you this. Jesus presenting the teaching of Scripture as his own authority. And the people couldn't quite put their finger on his teaching and that sense of authority and what it was, but it struck them powerfully. Now, in truth, the thing that caused them to be so amazed was that in Jesus, they were witnessing the authority of the Word of God from the very author of the Word of God. In fact, from the very living Word itself come among them. And instead of teaching authority coming from the fathers of Judaism, Jesus taught with the authority of the Father in heaven. And that made an impression on his hearers. And we today should always be recognizing that the teaching of Christ and his word has that same authority. It has the authority of God because it is God's word to us. We place here a very high word on the, uh, or a high value on the scripture. And we should. Every Christian should. They cannot afford to not. It is the teaching of the word that we rely on and that we must rely on as the, the final authority In any controversy, any disagreement, any teaching, any practice, any putting forward of what binds the consciences of men and women, if we're going to bind the consciences of men and women, it better be because the Word of God tells us to. And when we hear Christ teach, when we read of Christ's teaching, when we read the teaching of the Word of God in general, we should be astonished. Are you astonished as you read the Scripture? Are you struck out of yourself by what you read? We should. The wisdom, the authority of Christ in His Word comes to us in that Word that is breathed out by God and given to us. And that is profitable for what? For teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And as Jesus taught in the synagogue, his authority was on display. The third thing is that as as Jesus comes to, to proclaim as well as he comes to actually bring in the kingdom of God as the king of that kingdom coming among men, we know that he has to do battle against the enemy of his kingdom. And we see then his authority on display in his power over evil spirits. We see that here in this passage as well. We've already seen him battle the powers of of evil and darkness in the wilderness against the, the prince of the power of the air already 
And we've seen him emerge absolutely victorious. And at the end of that encounter, remember, we mentioned Luke telling us that the devil departed from him until an opportune time. Till a time later when he could come at him again. And so we're not surprised when we read in verse 23 that immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And notice that here, that the devil, or one of his minions rather, is so bold as to come right into the church, into the synagogue. And he's no less bold today, by the way, which is why we must always be on the alert. It's why we must always be, and why pastors especially and elders need to be ever vigilant and prepared to battle him with the word of God because he sends his evil workers among us into the church. You know, Paul said that there are going to be those that will come against the church from outside and even from among you there will be raised up false teachers. 2 Corinthians 11.12 tells us that even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So we're not surprised that this man with this unclean spirit comes into the synagogue itself. A man possessed, a man uh, in the synagogue controlling his thoughts, controlling his actions. And I'm sure that this unclean demon, really, that was uh, possessing this man... As, as they came into the synagogue that morning, that he was not expecting the guest teacher at the synagogue to be the Son of God. He was not expecting it, but he certainly recognized it, didn't he? You know, demons, which are fallen angels, fallen with Satan, while they are many things, none of them good, they are not stupid. Their minds, their wills are fallen, but they know the Lord. They know God. They know the Son of God when they encounter Him. They also know Him as their enemy. And they know their fate because of Him. All of which causes this one to cry out. Back to verse 23. Immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. My, what a reaction. What have you to do with us? That's, a, that's an Old Testament statement, sort of an old, a formulaic statement of, of disassociation, of putting distance. It, it means something like, go away and leave me alone, is how we might say it today. The, the demon in this poor man certainly expresses alarm, certainly expresses fear as he, become, as he comes face to face with Jesus Christ. And as I said, the demons know their fate. They know their punishment to come. But they expect it to be to come. They expect it at the end of time, not now. In Matthew's record of this event, we get a little further further, uh, telling 
of, of the demon's um, expression here, there it's recorded that he says, have you come here to torment us before the time? You know, this isn't supposed to be when this is going to happen. Or have you come to, put, to judge us, to judge me? See, because, beloved, there is coming a time when all evil will receive its just and horrible reward and deserved reward. When the devil and all that are his, as Revelation 20 tells us, be cast into the lake of fire and says there they will be tormented day and night forever. This demon says, is, is that what you're here about? And he declares, most importantly here, he says, I know who you are. No one else there in the synagogue that day really did, but the demon did. He says, you are the Holy One of God. A great profession from such a wretched being. You are the Holy One of God. Speaks of Christ's nature, speaks of Christ's uh, source. He is the Holy One, the Righteous One, the Other One who has come from God, who is God. It's a powerful statement here of the deity of Christ. And it's, it's interesting and I think important that, that as he gets ready to give that confession... He particularly identifies who's, who he's talking to when he says, what in verse 24, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? We know who he's talking about. And we know who Jesus of Nazareth is. It's a powerful statement of the deity of Christ. You know, there are millions of people who deny the deity of Christ. But it's interesting that in that denial, they are dumber than a devil. But most importantly here, we see another significant, powerful expression of the authority of Christ displayed in regard to this. Simple, yet powerfully expressed to us by Mark in verse 25. When we read, but Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. The Holy One of God pulls rank, as it were, on the demon and demonstrates his, Jesus' authority over the powers of darkness and evil and oppression by powerfully commanding this demon to shut up and come out. And the unclean spirit, though he's unhappy about it, and takes one parting shot at the man by convulsing him, he has no choice. And at the command of the creator of all things, he must obey the voice of the Holy One of God and leave. We talk about Jesus battling the powers of darkness. But it's not so much a battle, is it? as it is a demonstration of Jesus' authority. It's not as if Jesus and this demon are are on equal terms and they're fighting it out to see who's going to be victorious. Jesus' 
Jesus is the Holy One of God. He commands him and he leaves. And what a comfort that little sentence is to us. Beloved, to you this morning, to know that no evil thing can harm you. To know that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. To know that nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. To know that if God is for you, that nothing can be against you. That even the devil can only go as far as our loving God will allow him to go. And that even then, even the worst that the devil will attack us with, God will use that for our good. Amen? What a comfort that is this morning, every morning. Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And then Mark gives us, again, the reaction of the people in the synagogue who have witnessed this. And they still, even more now, don't know what to make of this man who has come among them. Mark says that they questioned among themselves. They began to debate it. They began to talk about it. You know, wow, something big and important and awesome is going on. What are we to make of this guy? Not only is this man bringing this new authority in teaching, in his teaching, that's, that's one thing, but he also has authority to speak to, no, to command unclean spirits, supernatural beings, and they obey him. May I say it again, people of God, what a comfort it is to know whom we serve. What a comfort this must be. What a comfort it is to know that God is for us in in light of who is against us. Because though the demon is no real battle for Jesus who can command him at will, that's not the same for you and I on our own. And the enemy, beloved, would like to see you destroyed. But he can't destroy you. As we just read, he can't separate you from God's love. And so he will do what he can to make your life be as miserable as he can. He would sap every ounce of spiritual vitality from you. He would have you doubt your redemption, your salvation at every turn of every day in order to destroy your joy. Since he can't make you a non-Christian, he will do what he can to make you the most miserable Christian that he can. But at a word from our Savior, from your Lord, he must flee. Even, beloved, because you are Christ, when you resist him, what does James say? Resist the devil and he will flee from you. And do you realize 
who Jesus is this morning? He's not just some teacher, not just a rabbi, not just a great teacher, not just a wise sage, not just a compassionate preacher, but he is one who has come from God with the power of God because he is God. Notice the text again here says two things. Literally it says he commands and they obey. No drawn out complicated ritual like remember the prophets of Baal but simply the authoritative word of Christ. And so Christian, let us fear God, not the devil. Not what he can do. And now, with that happening, the effects of these things begin to spread. Verse 28 says, And at once. That's the same word that is usually translated immediately. At once, his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. The news begins to spread. And it brings us to our fourth point this morning, and that is Christ's authority over sickness. Another display of his authority. Continuing now, with the same day, still on the Sabbath, this busy day that Jesus is having, verse 29 says that immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her, and he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. Very simple. The recording here is very simple. Now remember that Mark's gospel comes from Mark's recording recollections of Peter's preaching. And it's Peter's mother-in-law who this is concerning. And it's given very simply, very matter-of-fact. Very near to the synagogue there in Capernaum is the house of Simon, Peter, and Andrew. And as they enter into the house, Jesus learns that Peter's mother-in-law, who lived with them, was very sick. Luke tells us she was very sick. And it says they told him about her. They did so, of course, he says, immediately. Luke adds that they appealed to him on her behalf. Even then, even so early in in Christ's ministry, they know who to come to. How quick are we to know that? We know that. How, How quick are we to bring our needs to Christ? Or do we sort of hold on and make prayer our last resort instead of our first instinct. But they, they do. They bring, or they tell Jesus about her. And again, very simply, we read that Jesus goes into her, and notice, without a word now, without fanfare, without ceremony, it says he took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her. There's authority. There's a demonstration. There's authority on display. Christ has authority not only in his teaching, not only over unclean spirits, but as the maker of our bodies, he also has the ability, the authority to make them well. And we read that after he lifted her up, that she began to get better, and after a time of rest and recovery from the weakness of her condition, she was eventually able to resume her normal activities. Doesn't say that, does it? Jesus never healed people that way 
That's the way the charlatans do it. So the interested parties never see the real outcome of their show. Jesus heals her instantly. He heals her completely. And Mrs. Simon's mother-in-law, whatever her name was, was instantly able and instantly ready and instantly willing to resume her work as a hostess of the house. We read she began to serve them. And once again, people of God, we are reminded in the actions of this lady what our reaction should be to the grace of God. Service. Grateful service. Grateful service to a Lord, a Savior, who, because he is God, has authority over sickness, to rebuke it, to speak to it, or by the mere touch of his hand to remove it. Or in his sovereign decision to leave us in it for our good. Of course, in the the course of Jesus' ministry and the ministry of the apostles after him, we learn that not everyone was healed. Not everyone's healed in this life. People are healed sometimes at different times, through different means, as the Lord wills. But all authority is Christ's. And he demonstrates his authority as the Son of God by taking this lady by the hand, lifting her up, and instantly seeing her healed. Now these are two individual instances. One man with an unclean spirit, one woman with a fever. But Mark goes on now in verses 32 through 34 and and basically tells us good news travels fast. This good news travels very fast. And by by sundown, he tells us, by the, the end of the Sabbath at sundown, that people are waiting, waiting for the Sabbath to be over and that they come to Jesus. They all come to Jesus. In verse 32... He says, that evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. Everybody brings because everybody knows where to come. The word spread regarding both of those incidents. And some come with those who are sick. Some come with those who are oppressed by demons. But Christ, we read, healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. He's able to deal with each and every need appropriately, perfectly, and authoritatively because he has the authority of God, because he is God. And his authority is on display first in individual instances and now when the crowd comes. So these first miracles of Christ prove that what he said is true. And they prove that what Mark said about him is true. That he is the Christ, he is the Son of God. And they prove what John the Baptist said about him to be true. That he is above all men, above all things, above all creation. He is the one who comes to anoint with the Holy Spirit, to baptize with the Holy Spirit. He is the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. And they prove what God himself said about him as being true. You are my beloved son. Beloved, Jesus has come and has come wielding the authority of the King of Kings. 
He is sovereign over all other teachers. He is sovereign over all sickness. He is sovereign over all the powers of evil. So, beloved of Christ, rejoice in him today. Rejoice in the one that you serve. Rejoice in the one who has saved you and who watches over you. Rejoice in him today that his authority has been utilized for your good and for your salvation. And that his authority has made you a child of God through faith. And to that, let us say, Amen. Father, we thank you again for the the record here of what Christ has done. We thank you that that Jesus is that Jesus has all authority. And that that you have given to him as a result of his faithful work here that you have given him all authority in heaven and on earth. We thank you that he is divine, that he is able to deal with any situation that we might come up against, that he is able to heal, that he is able to deliver, and that he is able to teach us what you would have us to know, that he teaches with your very authority. We pray that you would help us to rejoice in him. Rejoice in our Savior. Rejoice and rest in Him and His authority that has been utilized for our good. And we thank you for Him and we pray in His name. Amen.